Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. To get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoy, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts, and on this episode, small towns, big walls. They make for a great place to hide things. We'll talk about WBEZ's look at prisons in rural America in season four of Motive. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband and love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of Dead on Deadline, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Hello, Rebecca. And finally, back from the sick bed, our resident Doubting Thomas, author of the City Trilogy, host of Strange Arrivals, and our Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcast host, Toby Ball. Hello again, Toby. Hello, Rebecca. We're just so happy to have you here, Toby. Really, so happy to I'd- be back. Drown of uh, sick bay. Really? It's just so wonderful. I mean, first you gave a thumbs up to everything about Pam, which just knocked me off my feet. And you're back again. It's just so wonderful to see you in your flesh-colored t-shirt. It's no. just... <laughs> Remember Slim Goodbody? Oh, the, yes. the guy from yeah. TV was like the... Like... The bodysuit. You can look inside and see his uh, no. flesh-colored bodysuit. You can see his organs. With the game operation. I was just watching the yes. uh, Arrested Development where uh, George Michael is wearing the muscle suit for the uh, the live reenactment of the creation of Adam, and he starts wearing it under all his clothes so he looks buffer. <laughs> 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 kind of like me with my chest protector when oh I'm playing baseball. God. Do, do you oh. wear that under your clothes to work now? Well, I work from home, so he yeah. Works uh, well, for me, well, so no. Well, I work at the baseball field, so the, t- the answer is yes, yes, I do. There we go. There is the nice. most, Kevin, you should put this in the newsletter. Yeah. There is the most incredible photograph of Kevin umpiring a baseball game. Now, there are many photographs of Kevin standing behind bases where he's just in full face mask, just, you know, squatting behind uh, a catcher and looking like an umpire, right? And yep. like, you can't really see him. and He just looks like real sportsy, you know, looks like an umpire. There's this incredible photograph of him taken from a game yesterday where he's umpiring at the bases where you're just like sort of standing out in the sort of infield and he has the no offense babe but you agree 
mm-hmm. fucking derpiest look on his face I have ever seen anybody have. Does it look like I'm concentrating? It looks like you're concentrating on how to be a two-year-old. It is unbelievable. Oh, come on now. It is unbelievable. I need to see it. And it looks like his two legs are completely different sizes. We cannot figure out the math of this photography. I'm sitting there going, okay, uh, first and second, one out. Infield fly rule, double tag, rotating to first. It's like science. But it looks like he's thinking, what is one plus one? Oh. <laughs> That's it. You're out. I'm throwing you out. Uh, can, we, can we just call off my phone so we can show it to Laura and Toby on the camera so they can just get yeah. a glimpse of it? Okay, yes. so let's just do that. Uh, oh, my God. Somebody likes it. Oh, no. Oh, my God. Kevin. Oh, my God. You know who you look like? Who do I you look, look like? You look like Homer Simpson. Do I? <laughs> No, that's or, that is no, an umpire look, look. That's the way you're supposed to look. He looks so serious. No, it's not that. Hold on, you gotta see the face. Hold on, it's another one. How do I do this? I, well, I, I think know. he looks very serious. I'm putting this on the crime writers on calendar for 2023. <laughs> Here comes the close up. But the- <laughs> <laughs> Mr. April, Mr. April, Kevin Flynn. It doesn't even look like his face. He looks like he's like. I don't know. He's like, he looks like somebody from South Boston who's like part of the mafia. I think you should watch a Major League Baseball game and see the expression on the Major League umps' faces, and I think you'll find that they are very similar. Thank you, Toby. Okay. You're all... like one of Matt Damon's stupid friends from Goodwill Hunting in that photo. <laughs> I love it. By the way, I love you very much. And by the way, I'm so proud of you for umpiring. You're almost done with your apprenticeship. I am. You're going to get patched. We're going to get patched. Ooh. It's like getting licensed. Wow. Do you get a rocker? A rocker? Like the motorcycle gangs? You get like a patch oh, yeah. and then you get like a rocker <laughs> along the bottom? No, wow. you don't get the rocker, but you don't. You do get to have a patch so that if you disgrace them, they can like go over and just rip the patch off of your shirt. Nice. And you can walk away in disgrace. It's like being pinned in the Air Force where they jam the pin into your chest, but the I, actual pin goes into your no, chest. No, you just ordered a different shirt online. <laughs> it shows up. It's got the patch. <laughs> You don't throw a party or anything like I, that. I think we should have a party. I want to yeah. have a party. Can we have a party? A patch party? Yes. Patch party. Jesus. Do you partake of your patch party with yes. paprika? Pull All in. right. Well, we have to talk about a podcast right now. Uh, but before we do, Kevin, what is coming up on Monday's podcast? Uh, we're going to be talking about the series finale of a favorite of ours, Killing Eve. Wow. How many episodes are in the final season of Killing Eve? I think there are eight, like all the other seasons. Okay. Well, I guess we'll have to catch up on that before we tape next week's podcast. Cool. I told everybody a month and a half ago this was coming. You did. Yeah, I so. just ignored True. it. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. If you don't do the homework till the night before it's due, like in high school, that's listen, not on the teacher. Listen, listen, Toby has plenty. He's been very, very busy being sick in bed. So. Yeah. <laughs> not watching TV. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we should go ahead and uh, start this week's review. I think we should get to it. What do you think, Kevin? Do it. Let's drop that first clip. Prisons are full of blind spots. Places with no cameras, but also all kinds of other ways things are hidden. The staff is hesitant to talk. Government officials deny documents for security reasons. Prisons are often far away from big cities, hard to get to for lots of loved ones. And letters and calls to family or journalists are monitored, sometimes censored. It's a good place to try and hide something. Officials say prisons protect the public from lawlessness, but often they're the most lawless places in the country. And the security used to keep detainees in also keeps out transparency and accountability. 
For example, guards in one Illinois prison allegedly use a surveillance video blind spot to dole out punishment to inmates. Whatever's not seen on the camera, you know, in the court of law is not truth. Washington says the guards beat him. Beat him right in that spot with no cameras, between two doors and the entryway to sec. Those charged with policing the guards are often thwarted by a system designed to hide the abuse. Even hundreds of complaints against a prison supervisor known as the Red Devil did not prevent beatings and punishment. Talking to these guys conspiring to beat an inmate up, that's official misconduct. That's a felony. Well, we didn't if, do it. I, if you, I don't guess I don't understand. But what else have you done? In season four of Motive from WBEZ Chicago, host Shannon Heffernan explores the Illinois prison system. She finds their rural locations, small town staffs, protective culture, and hostility toward inmates creates opportunities for systemic misconduct. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from Motive season four. So if you want to remain spoiler free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews. Laura Bricker, first impressions of this podcast, I hear they are positive. Yes, I am going to say this is my favorite podcast that we have listened to in a long time. I love the reporting. I love the host delivery. I love the writing. But it's also the topic is freaking rage-inducing, but also really important to get out there. And just the whole total package with this podcast is the type of story that when serial after season one, we were like waiting for them to like pick a topic that we're like, oh, this is going to be a big topic. This is that sort of topic because you can zoom in on the small, like here's a singular prison where these issues are going on. And then you can zoom out to like, oh my gosh, there's 27 prisons in this state. There are all these little towns competing for prisons because of the industry it brings and the jobs that they bring. And that is something that is happening all over the country. So I loved this podcast. I was listening to it. I was walking around town. It gave me an extra lap on my rage walk. So that was a good thing, especially with like Easter candy coming up and everything. So good, good job. <laughs> and Laura, I mean, you know, I use this word and people don't like it when I do, but it's entertaining too, right? Like it's compelling. It's well yes. done. It like is not slow. Like it is just beautifully put together. That's what I'm saying. It's the total package because uh, the delivery style of Shannon, the host, is just... Like you can listen. And I think one of the mistakes people make when they're writing for podcasts is they're still writing like they're writing a magazine article or a newspaper story. And she's writing in a way that like she's telling you the story. Like if we were at a dinner party, she would be telling us this story. Right. And it was entertaining to listen to. But that doesn't take away from the fact that I would like to go to Illinois and take down Major Prentice because it was a story that had some real meat with it in terms of the reporting and the information that it was delivering. Yeah. So, Toby, this isn't just about a single story, right? It is about a it's, it's a bunch of stories together. It's actually about an entire system. And we listen to podcasts like this occasionally, but it's kind of been a while since we've listened to one that's really like a cohesive package, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a systems podcast. That's really what the investigation uh, is of. You know, I agree with Laura in sort of, I, I think it's really, really good. You know, something she didn't mention, but which really struck me is, you know, each of these episodes could be kind of standalone, but they all bring up like a different facet of the problems 
with this prison and, you know, by extension, prisons in general. And I think in a way that that really build on each other. And I think not necessarily that they have to go in the sequence that they go, but I just kind of feel like they all enrich each other and show different aspects. It doesn't feel as though it's ever redundant. And it didn't feel to me, at least, like any of the episodes were any less important than any of the others. I felt like they all were sort of very, you know, mindfully picked to sort of create this picture. So yeah, that, that's sort of my 30,000 foot view is is that it's just really constructed really well and, and reported really well and written really well, like Laura said. No, I agree. I think they, when they introduced this, when Shannon introduces this, I almost was expecting Kevin like an anthology. It was mm-hmm. like each episode we're going to be telling a different story about some aspect of this, but it's not an anthology because each one has a connective tissue. It's like they do build on each other because yeah. each one gives you some understanding that leads you to understand why the next one is important and how the next story could have happened. Yeah, there's overlap. Right. Like I think about, first of all, I mean, just as an example, the most recent episode, episode four, tells this very shocking story about the, you know, resentencing of this inmate. And in that story, you hear about the horrible like things he does to himself while in solitary confinement because his mental condition continues to degrade there. And the details of that story are super shocking. At one point in segregation, he stabbed his thigh with a spoon so deep that it had to be removed surgically. Another time, he cut off his testicle and hung it on the cell door. His arms are so full of scars from self-harm that they look like tree branches. By the time you get there, you're primed for it because you've understood, you know, kind of what happens to these inmates and because how in they episode inter- two we heard about Correct. how yeah and how they interact with guards and how you know those conditions sort of leads to those kinds of interactions with guards and the way that guards tend to retaliate against inmates yep. and that and that cycle of retaliation. So that sentencing thing, they don't have to explain all of that, and then it gets to be about that those those laws and those guys. And it's like, okay, I have all the background now. So it's like taking the three hundred level course on this. You, you've already taken the one hundred and two hundred level course. You know what I mean? Yeah. So Kevin, um, what do you think about just sort of the time that was invested into this? Because that's what it's all about. Yeah, I mean, that's where great reporting comes from. You know, kudos to WBEZ Chicago for investing the time. Apparently, it took years. And when it comes to public information requests, I can see where that happens. They don't get everything that they want. They do get some great stuff and they make the most out of it. Episode three, where we're looking at these internal affairs investigations into Major Prentice. She is one of the supervisors at the Pontiac prison. Fuck her. You know, first the investigator's kind of like talking her up, and she is doing this police dog whistle thing, right, where she is saying, essentially, yeah, I'm a cop, you're a cop, we're all cops, I'm loving cop life. And the dog whistle part is, this isn't going to be like any big deal. This is all bullshit. You we know it. We protect our own. Even more so, we protect her. You get that this is nothing. And it isn't until later when they start pressing her. And one of the investigators literally calls her on her bullshit, says that it's bullshit. So for you to say, in all your years in this facility, you have never seen anything go on without I've reporting never, I've never it. Said that's bullshit. I mean, you know that. That's you. bullshit. I didn't say that. You said you report everything you see, and that's bullshit. What did I say? You said, I said I learned. Fantastic tape because if someone needed a comeuppance, it was her. But in the end, we find out hundreds of complaints against her over her career. You know, it's horrible that it took hundreds and hundreds of complaints and that in the end, she doesn't get prosecuted for any of this. She's allowed to retire. 
it's better that she's not there, but it's disappointing that they can't, you know, they don't really do anything about it. Episode three of this podcast is one of the best single episodes of a criminal justice podcast I have heard in years. The tape in this episode is outstanding. It is super well used. Toby, this is an episode. They had, what, 450 something emails that they could have just like a lesser podcast would have just like let the tape roll let the tape, whatever the cutting between the two interviews, the explanation of the context of them, the building of suspense. They used a lot of tape, but it was used really well. I just found this episode to be like superbly constructed and just like I understood everything that was happening and I got really fucking angry the whole time. What did you think about this Prentice episode, this Red Devil episode? I think it's very memorable. I'll be thinking about it for a while. Yeah, I mean, I think it's the standout. And I agree. Like, if you're taking a look at one episode of a podcast that we've reviewed, like, there are other standout episodes. I think about the first episode of Suspect, which I know that you really like. But yeah, I mean, it's it's not as easy, probably, as it may sound to have like a lot of really good tape and then make that into a really good episode. But it is. I mean, you can get, as a listener, tape fatigue very easily. So you have to be very judicious in how much you want to play at a given time, how much narrative explanation you need to give to either introduce things or to explain to the listener what they just heard or some of the nuances or things like that. And then intercutting tape so that you build, like Rebecca was saying, like you build suspense that these two interviews are going on sort of more or less simultaneously. I Yeah, it's just, it's just, it's an excellent job by everybody who's involved in that. And um, again, I mean, I think it's something you could play to a, to a class about like editing podcasts and, and have a really good discussion about why what they did worked. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney Bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. So, uh, speaking of breakouts, yeah, of prison, yeah, uh, we weren't actually speaking about breakouts, we but we're going to break away from our usual discussion and get into the business section. Okay, let's do it. 
Okay, so on Patreon right now, you can get the latest episode of Leave It to Bricker. Which I listened to and loved so much. It was so entertaining. So here's, Can I sell it, please? Here's the premise. If you are a super fan of Crime Writers On, yes. imagine you have the opportunity to go to Quaint AF, Exeter, New Hampshire, yes. and not only meet and hang out a little bit with the four of us, but to get to go out on the town and get completely blitzed with Lara Bricker. That's right. That's right. But imagine, first of all, that you're Jamie Piscatelli, one of our biggest and best fans who like mm-hmm. evangelizes for the show all the time. And you're like cool and you like our show and you're like an overall nice person. And you come to Exeter, New Hampshire, and you realize you don't know how to cross the street. Because <laughs> how do you cross the street in a small town? It is honestly, they just stop, it's, you the, walk? it's the first of many amazing details from his visit. I loved this episode of Leave It to Bricker, even though it's perhaps the worst audio quality of any episode of Leave It to Bricker. I loved it. It was hilarious. I listened. I laughed. I cried. Our audience is going to love it. Jamie is so charming. Also, a note that if you join Patreon at the Brickter scale level, you also get to join Lara's exclusive Facebook group, the Brickter Scalers. I guess we've come up with a new term that the people on the Brickter scale are what the Brickters Scandalegias or what did we say they were? Well, I think that was um, that was my autocorrect. I was trying to tell you that my my Brickter scale alert had gone off um, about a recent podcast. And uh, it just auto-corrected into some word that didn't even make sense. But if you want to go with that, I mean, I will get behind it. The Brichter Scalengers, I think, is... The Brichter Scalengers. Like, yeah. if it, the Brichter Scalengers is something that people want to, like, join. And if it makes a t-shirt. Um, although, I also would like a license plate frame, if you could design that, Kevin. Ooh. Okay, I'm on it. For my new car. I'm, I want, like, a I'm crime writer's on... on well, I want, like, a little crime writer's on license you plate You can make frame. that. I'm sure they have that. Someone on Etsy will will hook you up. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Lastly, I want to make a plug for These Are the Stories of the Law and Order podcast. Yes. The latest episode, we are covering SVU Season 7, Episode 3, 911. That was a good one. This is the episode for which Mariska Hargitay won her Emmy Award back in 2005. This is the episode where a girl calls on 911 and she says she's locked in her room and maybe it's a hoax. Or maybe Marisha's just going to believe the victim. And guess who doesn't believe her? Any of the men Marishka works with. Fuck those men. (laughs) (laughs) But our guest was great for that episode. I loved taping that one. Yeah, so that's out right now. So if you want to uh, get exclusive content behind the paywall at Patreon, or even if you just want to get our free newsletter, you can check it out, Patreons at patreon.com slash partners in crime media, or sign up for our free newsletter at crimewriterson.com. Dot com. Kevin, before we get back to the show, do we have any Patreon patron saints of the week this week? Yes, our Patreon patron saints are Gene Bloomquist and Karen Miles. Bless you. Bless you guys. And Kevin, does thus end the business section? Yes, thus ends the business section. Bless you all. I'm going to go ahead and fade the music out. All right, so Laura, we were just talking about episode three of this podcast. Um, she's the devil, we hear at the beginning of the episode. And that Ugh. comes from the licensed counselor we hear in the previous episode mm-hmm. who worked at the same prison, which, by the way, again, a fantastic transition from episode to episode because the previous episode was about the mental health workers who were ground down by racism and horrible policies and just leaving their jobs for reasons. And then we hear her introduce Major Prentice as, quote, the devil. So they tell and then they show. You just said 
only cowards. Bully and intimidate on people who can't fight them back. Man, I'm handicapped. I got one hand, and I go home in a year. I'm not trying to fight you. And his words to me then, well, you just fucked up. One of the things I thought about this entire episode was I cannot wait to hear Laura Bricker's take on this person. What were you thinking as you were listening to this character, which is all, I mean, she's very cinematic. This is a character from a movie. This is like the warden from Silence of the Lambs, right? She's like, yeah, I'm thinking this is like a word, like in a Stephen King like yes. prison movie or something. Yeah, it's, it's like from <laughs> what was that? What was like the the Shawshank the Green Redemption? Mile or, yeah, yeah, like yeah. The, the cruel head warden. She's, she's always sleeping with one allegedly uh, cruel guard who then is like her like attack dog that she can send in to like beat some. Like this is horrible, you know that it smelled like water. But I, if you kind of pretend it's urine, we can do a lot of deeper punishment. Like, what were your thoughts as you were listening to this? Um, well, my blood was sort of boiling in the early stages of listening to this. I was like, I hate this lady. I was just getting <laughs> so angry listening to this. I mean, there was just so much with her. Like, okay, I'm going to have one of my COs bite me. So it looks like an inmate bit me. The fuck? And just the level of loyalty of the people that worked underneath her, like they would do anything that she said. I, I did something I don't normally do. I tried to take a step back. And one of the things I did find myself thinking about is she's the devil. But this does sort of raise the reality because a lot of people talked about how she ran a tight ship and she kept things in line and people were behaved. And there is this sort of other side of this that I was thinking about. Like, you are running a prison and there are some scary people in prison and there are some violent people in prison. And there is a certain need to maintain a sense of order in prison. Now, obviously not the way that she's doing it, but you kind of wonder like what made her get to the point where she's like running her own little fiefdom in there, uh, like like people are living in fear of her and she's got, you know, her army of people that are just beating the shit out of people in the blind spot where the cameras don't record and you're like, did this start because you, you have that one inmate, Anthony Gay, who knew her early in the career, and he talked about how she had changed. And didn't he describe her as, like, cool as white toothpaste? I don't know yeah. <laughs> what, he, what he described her as. But, but how she changed in the career and how they grew up together. And you kind of, like, I'm like, what makes somebody get to this level where they are just no accountability, no fear of being caught, no fear of retribution, and literally evil like that? Like, did she start evil? I don't know, but like what gets somebody to that? And is it the result of working in the prison all these years? Or is it the result of this broken prison system in Illinois where they're understaffed or perhaps, you know, they, they're not supported in a way and they just sort of, it's like they're out there on their own. But when they finally caught her, when they were questioning her and she was trying, she thought she was getting away with everything. They're like, actually, we have your email. She's like, why do you have my emails? I'm like, ha you're going down now, bitch. <laughs> I was like, take that, major premise. All right, so remember when I told you, I asked you about bogus staff members mm -hmm. and things you heard, yeah. and you told me yeah. nothing, yeah. right? Yeah. So you lied to me a little bit? Right? Yeah, a little bit. Okay, so let's, yeah. not, so let's was, not lie yeah. about anything again, okay? Because, okay. again, we always know what's going yeah, on. Yeah, right? I know. I mean, I should have so. assumed you knew. It was rage-inducing listening to this because... It wasn't like there was just one complaint against her. And I'm like, who who else is she having sex with besides the people under her? 
that she is not getting in trouble. Yeah. I mean, it's okay. So there's a lot going on in everything that you just said. We've heard this in a lot of different contexts, but the context that always jumps out to me because I think it's the one that's, I'll, I'll alienate the fewest people by talking about it. I'll get the few, the fewest angry emails uh, is the um, the podcast Running From Cops with Dan Taberski, right? He talks in that podcast about the fact that cops are trained to be that way, right? Mm-hmm. You can talk about certain behaviors of certain cops and you can say, like, you should know better, but that's actually the training and they are trained by people who learn how to be cops from watching cops, right? That being said, she is being interrogated by somebody who was trained the same way, by the same system, and there is, in fact, you know I'm the kind of person who's like, okay, we're talking about a woman here who's working in a man's system, and we need to know this person is operating under a different moral code than other people do. If we were talking about a man, that's what we'd be saying. It is not feminist to say that she is less evil than a man who would, if we were, we, if we were talking about a man, we would have no problem saying this fucking guy is evil, right? So why can't we say that about this woman? Why do we have to couch it, right? Very fucking comfortable yeah, saying Yeah, I didn't that. think that was up for debate. <laughs> I'm comfortable not stepping back and just saying this person is a piece of shit, is I guess, I guess what I'm trying to say. Kevin, previous to that, we heard about this episode about the therapist, which I thought was very interesting, mm-hmm. and how these two women were being accused frequently, these two uh, black therapists, counselors were being uh, often uh, accused of, quote, over-identifying with the inmates yeah. of the prison. <laughs> well, it's it's an interesting way they label something called transference, which is a legitimate concern and a clinical best practice, right? That you don't want to do that. We see that in other cases. But the term they use was very, it's very interesting where they say over-identify, and it's more like a warning, like you don't want to be thinking about, you know, the same ways that they do. And it's also, I think, about not humanizing the inmates. In particular, these inmates that they're dealing with are people who, if they, on the outside world, had access to better mental health care, they might be in a different setting than a prison. But, you know, I also think that, like, the corrections officers steal their own terminology. They under-identify, meaning that they don't see these inmates as humans with rights and that they're just using the system not for rehabilitation but for punishment they have open season on anybody that gives them back talk or throws urine at them which is actually just water yeah well it's a shitty job we're not saying it's well, not a can, shitty yeah, job it's not a shitty right it's there are really bad people in the world and eventually a lot of them wind up in a prison and that Laura is also right that the officers there have to try to maintain order because to them order is safety. But to use any sort of physical force, it has to be used to neutralize those threats. And that's it. But it's a shitty job. But and not to be used as punishment, not to drag somebody into a blind spot, you know, where the video surveillance system is just so they can start kicking his teeth out. Okay. Literally. I'm going to say c- yeah. counter something you said. It's yeah. not a shitty job because of the shitty people that are in there. It's a shitty job because it's a shitty system. Yeah. Because Americans don't give a shit about it. Okay? So policing is visible. Mm-hmm. Okay? So we can criticize policing all we want. We can say that some police are committing abuses and we are looking at it. And it's in the news and we see it and we can criticize it and we can say that some cities, some places, some cops are not doing it well. But we see it. This is not seen and Americans don't see it. 
and it's a shitty system. So this job is not only are these people being treated very poorly, people doing these jobs, doing them in secret. So it's an extra shitty job because they're working in a secret system. And so some of these people, even if they're well-intentioned and want to do a good job, are doing it in a shitty fucking system. Yeah, the first episode is called Blind Spot because it focuses on this camera. But this entire season could be called Blind Spot. It's really thematic because everything that happens behind the walls of a prison are out of the view of yes. the public. So there's no transparency. And the only way that you get any sort of accountability is the self-reporting, which, which no one listens to. Toby, you sent some notes about this same thing. Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting listening to this. I, at the same time, read sort of by coincidence an article about a support group for white-collar criminals who are either just going into prison or just coming out of prison, and they are like these dudes from Greenwich who did insider trading and stuff like that. And it was interesting how many of them came out and were like, we need prison reform. I'd never Surprise. really thought about it, you know? <laughs> and it just, it makes you realize... You know, a lot of people interface with the prison system. It's not necessarily if you had a Venn diagram with them and the people with the most like financial and political power in our country, I don't think the Venn diagram would have like a, a crossover that's that huge. So I just kind of feel like, again, this stuff flies under the radar. And I wonder what would happen if people in general, well, I, I feel like I have a, you get a hint of what would happen if people kind of knew what happened in prisons because you've seen it when people learn more about what's going on with policing strategies and it becomes polarizing, right? And there's some people who, you know, they're the George Floyd protests on one side, on the other side, you have the back, the blue and the people driving around with the thin blue line flagged. But I, I think it would at least make it a topic of conversation about how, like once people go into the prison, like how do we regard them at this point? Like, do they lose their humanity and therefore can be treated inhumanely? Or are these people who still deserve to be treated with some level of dignity or whatever? And, you know, I know how I feel about it. I don't think our country is certainly united about it, but it's not a conversation we seem to have. The conversation around prisons a lot seems to be about, can we have private prisons, which I think are just absolutely prone to abuse? And then about the economic effects of like building new prisons in these small towns that bring jobs and, and all these other things. So it's an interesting problem in our society that we haven't really confronted in a way that centers prisoners or prisoner and guard relationships. It, it tends to be more around economics and like, can we build more prisons to house more people and things mm -hmm. like that, except on sort of very progressive end of, uh, of the conversation. As you were saying that, Toby, all I could think of, there was a part in this that just made me think again of like, they are not like even regarding these prisoners as humans. And it was like somebody had eaten like the spork and they're like, oh, we'll just wait for him to poop it out. And I'm like, oh, it's like when your dog eats your ring or something and you're like, oh, whatever. Mm. It's like, we're not even going to worry about this. Yeah. And and that to me, that particular detail, it just really stuck with me. Yeah. Well, you just said, Toby, it's like, it's like the first episode, you know, the, the not seeing them as human beings. You think about that lawyer say, you know, you had that guy. He had the shit beaten out of him off camera. And, you know, there was other man with one arm with the shit beaten out of him off camera. But the other guy went to the lawyer and complained and said, all these things happened to me. The lawyer didn't listen. And then he was like, oh, wait, fuck. That guy who complained to me, the same guys he complained beat him up. They're now on trial for murder. So it's like, yeah, he didn't listen because the guy who had complained to him had been in prison for what, child pornography or something. So like, yeah, someone who's incarcerated 
it's like their humanity has been degraded. Their complaints matter less. The things that happen to them matter less. And they don't. I mean, that's the whole point of this. And it's it's to me completely fascinating. It's a story really, really worth looking at. I don't know. I just I found myself listening to this and just thinking like, we hear stories about this on a systemic level and we hear about privatized prisons and we hear about sort of on, on a larger level. And we've talked about them on the show. We've talked about prison labor. We talked about fire boys, you know, a few weeks ago. But this is a very different kind of story. I mean, th- this is just put together in a very different way. One of the things that Shannon brings up, which I think is really fascinating the connective tissue for these stories is that these prisons are in small rural areas and what that means. Now, you have Rikers Island, which is in the middle of the biggest city in the country. And so that's a pretty violent place. But prisons are made up of people. And then you've got people living in this small town where they know each other and they know people who are working there. And it's like a factory town, but it's a prison town. It is. And especially if you want to like hold people accountable, how that makes it more difficult just because, you, you know, you got to see these jury. people. Yeah. yeah, people on your jury are going to work at prisons. People at the grocery store, their wife the people wife at the church. Prison. You see your yeah. kids go to the same school. Yeah. It adds a different layer of pressure so that maybe if there was a little more anonymity, maybe some people would feel more emboldened to speak out. But, you know, if you lived in quaint AF Exeter and there was a big <laughs> prison there, you know, Laura would be the one that would be, you know, Speaking out about it, but then some people wouldn't talk to her at the Thirsty Moose, you know? There was a, there was a very small town <laughs> detail in here, though, that, Laura, I was thinking, like, this is so New Hampshire. When the, the state's attorney at the end uh, realized that the sentencing was wrong and he decided to change it when his assistant was like, this is wrong. And he's like, I think you're wrong about that. And he's like, no, this is wrong. And he's like, you made a mistake. And finally, the third time, he was like, OK. And then he fixed it. And then the guy who, like, brought him the problem ended up running against him and using the issue against him. Was that not something that would 100% fucking happen in New Hampshire? Um, it probably <laughs> totally has happened in New Hampshire. Uh, I'm just not with it enough to think of uh, where, but oh, we totally have things like that. Yeah, all the time. Um, Small yes. town politics, right? That's what so much of this yes. is about. Yeah. So the character, one of the characters I really enjoyed in this was Anthony Gay. Yes. You know, he was the guy who was in solitary confinement who had some really, really awful things happen while he was there because of his deteriorating mental health state, including the detail that I'm going to like have nightmares about, about how he cut off his own testicle. And nailed it to the door. And, yes. Yeah. And and then he wouldn't take the public defender because he was fearing that like they were all in cahoots with the prosecutor and everything. But what I loved about his story is that what I wasn't expecting is when he does represent himself pro se, he's doing a good job. Yeah. And like, even though he's like, man, hey, man, to the judge, which I loved that detail. I, I don't know about you guys, but I can think of a ton of pro se cases that I have witnessed in court. And none of them have actually had a defendant like that, that actually they were like, hey, watch out. That guy's actually pretty sharp. He's really good at what he's doing. That's right. Even though you might think he's crazy. And then I showed her the medical report and compelled her to read that it was totally opposite to what she told the grand jury. Basically, they made this key person look unreliable. He noticed people in the courtroom watching it all unfold. I could hear them in the back saying, he's good. So good for him and the fact that, you know, he sounds like he's doing better now. But I just thought his particular story, I mean, we've we've covered other cases and other media that has talked about why solitary confinement is not a good idea. It's it's a human rights abuse. It's like it's considered to be torture. His particular 
case to me. Like it was just the details and the way that it was told was like, this guy needs to be out there visibly when people are talking about the need to stop that practice. Yep. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. All right. Well, I think we should do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out Motive Season 4 from WBEZ, the public radio station in Chicago? Lara Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for this podcast? This is like a huge two thumbs and two feet up podcast. I don't remember when I have last enjoyed listening to a podcast as much as I enjoyed listening to this one. And that sounds kind of weird to say enjoyed because this is pretty heavy material and it's a pretty serious topic, but it was just so well done that, you, and, and you know that it's well done because you're able to follow the story. The narrative is cohesive. The narrator and the host is relatable. And the reporting that went into putting all of that together was tremendous. I just, I love this podcast on so many levels. And anytime that I feel the need to get out and do some rage walking, I would, I would re-listen. I mean, I, I can't wait to see where it's going to go. Because a lot of times, you know, we'll listen to something midway that we're reviewing for this and I don't go back. But I am definitely listening to this. I think it is one of the best things that we have listened to in a long time. And if anyone wants to go out to Illinois with me and, uh, you know, have some uh, conversations with Major Susan Prentice, we'll totally go there in the Mini Cooper and have a little chit chat <laughs> with her. Toby Ball, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Motive Season 4? Yeah, I agree with Laura. I, you know, I think it's the reporting is excellent. The writing is excellent. The third episode, I think, kind of stands out as, as sort of an exemplary episode, even just across the years that we've been reviewing podcasts. I imagine when we get to our top 10 list at the end of the year, this will be in there for me. Um, so, yeah, huge thumbs up. I, I think this is this is really sort of classy. Uh, I think it's, it's just a great job in all ways. That was my favorite note that we got. I got in the evening. Toby's note. This just feels like a classy podcast. Classy. Classy. And classic. Kevin Flynn, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Motive Season 4? Yeah, I'm going thumbs up. This is a solid podcast. The reporting is excellent here. We're only four episodes into the eight, but I do like what they are doing, which is something that a lot of podcasts fail to do or don't do well, and that is to stitch together 
multiple stories instead of just doing episode one, episode two, episode three with different topics. The way they integrate it is important because it's a complicated story, right? So you can't just take it into separate pieces. It's all mixed together and overlapping, and that's exactly how they went to tell the story. The tape is great. I agree that episode three is outstanding, and you know you could just submit that for an award all by itself. You know, good for, for on them of identifying an issue, sticking with it, doing the uh, the news gathering for the years that it takes, and coming up with something that you want to listen to more of. Yeah, so that a thumbs up for you? Yeah, I said thumbs up. What does it sound like? <laughs> I'm thumbs sideways. Yeah, I'm thumbs down. Thumbs down. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, huge thumbs up for me. This one's gonna win so many fucking awards. And I'm just going to say it. Remember Serial Season 3? Yeah. This is what that should have been. Serial mm-hmm. Season 3 made the promise that it was going to look at one little system in one city in one place and take us all through that system and tell a bunch of stories that would all tie together. And it did not. And we were all kind of disappointed. Some of the stories were good. And we were trying to figure out how does this all fit together? We didn't really get it. This is doing that. This is doing exactly what Serial Season 3 said it was going to do and didn't actually do. I feel like my understanding, not just of this place and these particular prisons, is heightened, but like my understanding of the system as a whole. Like I'm learning so much and I already knew a lot about this. So um, this podcast is incredible. Uh, It's beautifully done. And I've become somebody who's sort of like turned away a little bit from the public radio style uh, storytelling model because I just sort of feel like it's a little bit behind in the ways that the, you know, the podcast narrative model has been moving. I, I do feel like public radio is kind of lagging in the way that like a, a podcast needs to, for lack of a better word, again, entertain in order to actually like tell a story effectively. This is doing it. This is hitting every single box for me. It has impact. It's beautifully made. And yeah, the journalism is impeccable. I can't say anything more about this podcast than everyone else has already said. So that's all I'm going to say. Huge thumbs up for me for Motive Season 4. That's going to do it for us. But before we go, Laura Bricker, do we have a Cat of the Week this week? We do have a Cat of the Week this week. It is a cat named Chessie after the Chesapeake and Ohio Railroad mascot. Nice. And Chessie... The girl cat survived a fall out a fifth-story window and survived. Wow. Which is amazing. And and that's something I learned at Cat Detective School, as my shirt says, that many times cats, you think they're going to die when they fall out of a window, and they're actually fine. It's totally I've always bizarre. heard that. You learn at a Cat Detective School, and that when I was a kid, because don't they have, like, they flip over, right? Well, it depends on how they fall, um, but sometimes they'll fall. It's it's the craziest thing. So it, I did learn it in cat detective school. Yes. I saw videos. Yes. yes. They, 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 yes. they turn themselves into like parachutes, right, when they fall? Yeah. It's incredible. But they have to fall from a certain height to be safer. Yes. That's right. Yes. I remember hearing that when I was a kid. So Chessie looks good. Chessie's got a little bandana on after the big fall. So Chessie, I'm glad you're okay. All right, Laura Brooker, folks want to reach out to you to send you a cat or any kind of animal pet of the week. Of course, they can email us at crimewriterson at gmail.com. But if they would like to tweet you, how can they find you there? They can find me at Laura Bricker. And Toby Ball, if folks want to reach out to you on Twitter to see your flesh-colored T-shirt with the Unitarian Church-looking logo on it that you got from Urban Outfitters or wherever it came from, uh, how can they find you on Twitter? At Toby Ball NH. And Toby Ball, I just want to say again, I am so glad you are feeling better and back with us. I really, really missed you. Thank you. I missed you as well. 
No, you didn't. Oh, <laughs> that's so nice. He says that. Really, he's like smiles. Like I did not. I was in bed. I was Aww. watching basketball. It was amazing. <laughs> Kevin <laughs> Flynn. If folks want to reach out to you on Twitter and say, "Hey, Kevin, how can they find you there?" You can catch me in my derpy umpire face at <laughs> Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. Follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On. And please, seriously, you really want to join our Facebook discussion group. You'll meet all the super fans there, and they are freaking rad. Just go to Facebook, search for the Crime Writers On podcast. You'll find our page, and then hit join the group. We'll ask you a couple stupid questions. If you answer even one of them, we'll let you in. Support the show at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You'll get the Crime Writers on After Show, Married with Podcast, Laura Bricker's Leave it to Bricker Podcast, and Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club Podcasts. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the handsome and astute Olivia Burdett. The executive producer of this program is the gorgeous and not derpy at all, Kevin Flynn. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our New Hampshire basement where we always, 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 always have camera coverage. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Later. I thought Toby was naked for a second. Oh, my. <laughs> wow. Just got this sweet tattoo. His on shirt my chest. is exactly the, your shirt is exactly <laughs> the same color as both the background, your background, and your face color. Partners in crime media. Across America, BP supports more than two hundred and seventy-five thousand jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.